Well, let's get into the word. Are you ready? Let's go to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We've been dealing this month on the power of communion. The first week that I started out, I told you that this was more than just a church sacrament. I don't want to make light of that, but I believe it is more than that. I shared with you three things that I believe communion helped do. It helps us stay focused. It helps us stay in alignment and it helps keep us out of our flesh that we can enjoy all the good things of the Lord. Last week, Miss Amanda talked to us, ministered to us a powerful word from the book of John chapter 6. She walked through that thing and broke it down, but she talked about communion being a deep relationship with the Lord. When you really want to put it in a nutshell, that's what it is. It's an amazing relationship that's deeper than anything that we can imagine. And Jesus said, except we eat his flesh and drink his blood. Through that chapter, if you'll remember, she talked about all of those that followed him because he fed them. But there were only a few of them that was really willing to crawl into him and take him for who he really is and who he is for our lives. And I hope that's who we are. And tonight we're going to go a little bit further. I want to give you a few things that I believe are so important as we wrap this up tonight. So I want you to look back at the passage of Scripture with me from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. So here we go. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death Till he comes. Now, in this passage of scripture, there's three things that God said we need to give heed to. Three things that the writer said we need to give uh, attention to. I want to give all two, all three of them to you, and then I'm going to break them down. The first one, he said, remember. He said, as often as you do this. Do this in remembrance of me. So if you're doing something in remembrance. You are doing what? You're remembering. I'll break that down a little bit further in a moment. Then he said, the second thing is, he said, do this. This isn't an option. This isn't just a choice. It can be, but this thing is so important. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Here's the third thing that he said. In doing this, you are proclaiming his death until he comes. So let's break that down just a little bit. Let's start with remembering. What it means to remember. Well, if you look up the definition of remember, <coughs> it would simply mean this. It would be to re be a reminder. 
How many's had to put up a note or something to remind you of something? I wore this band on my arm for two years now, actually over. I started wearing it around before COVID or right at COVID because it had Psalms 91 on it before it's wore off. But I wore it not because I needed to. It's just become a part of me now. But I wore it to be a reminder to me that I'm in a covenant relationship with Jesus. Not that I've ever forgot that, not that I've let it slip, and not that I'm I, I'm afraid of something, but I'm using it, I'm wearing it, and hopefully it would be a tool that somebody would look at and say, what's that about? And I have had a number of people ask me, why do you wear that? But it is a covenant reminder. The word remember also means a recalling. I want you to bring something back up into attention. Here's another definition a little bit strange but a reliving of of out of your will a reliving of that going back and reliving that in your memory reliving that a little bit we sometimes it's been a while but if you go around my my wife's uh, parents' house, there's been times you go over there, they've got years of pictures, and they love to go through them. Uh, they sit down, and uh, my father-in-law, mother-in-law in the living room, she's laughing at me because I usually head out somewhere else, but... <laughs> <laughs> but they're walking through these pictures. And as they're going through, they don't just look at them, but they relive those moments. I'm, I mean, it becomes just as real looking at that picture almost as it was the day that was there. And they get the biggest kick. It's a great thing. It's what their family does. It's just not what I do. But they go through this thing. But it is a reliving out of our will. Here's another definition I thought was a, a writer put out of what it is. It's doing, it's doing in a future generation what Jesus was doing then as if those future generations were present when Jesus spoke it. Now, I know that was a mouthful. I had to relook at that several times myself. So when he said do this, although that was done back there, it's being done in a future generation so that, that, so that the future generation, uh, let me read it again, doing in a future generation what Jesus was doing then as if those future generations were present when Jesus spoke or when Jesus did it. When the Hebrews would take that meal, that, that covenant meal or, or even Passover, they were reliving the moment as though Jesus was standing there, Messiah was there when that was taking place. Now, why do we need to remember if that was so important? Why do we need to remember? Well, first of all, let's keep something in mind. When Paul wrote this, he's writing a letter of correction to the church. I've got an idea that if Paul was leaving, there'd be a big letter coming to the churches of of the day, of the churches of America. He'd really be writing. I don't know if there'd be enough pages for him, 
but he would really be writing. And the reason he was writing was because the churches had encountered God. They had experienced the Lord. Corinth was one of the churches that Paul planted and they had seen the hand of God. And Paul starts out in chapter one. He said, I'm writing this to you so that you don't come behind in any good thing that God has for you. I'm paraphrasing there. It actually says so that you don't come behind in any good gift. So he said, so that you can enjoy all the fullness, all the great things of the Lord. He begins to walk through there and the church had began to get out of order. Things were happening. He starts dealing with things like this. He said, first big thing that he dealt with, the law of first mention we really need to pay attention to. He said, there are divisions. There's all kinds of schisms among you. This one says, I'm of this group. This one says, I'm of that group. Paul said, I'm glad. I had nothing to do with baptizing any of you but he said I came anyway and I preached this gospel and then he went on to say he said one plants one waters but it's God that brings the increase and the moment listen when you follow this pattern through the scripture if you see it when there's strife and that's part of the stuff that was going on what does the Bible say where there's strife there's every evil work present right so when they were going through this if you'll keep following on they had they had immorality going on in the church there were there were things happening that was just not being dealt with and yet this is the church that had encountered the outpouring the spirit of God that one day knew what revival was but all of it is beginning to deteriorate and Paul is writing to them to get them back on track so he comes up even to this point now, even those sacred things, if you go to chapter chapter 10, I don't have time to walk through every verse, but if you go to chapter 10 and chapter 11, especially chapter 11, he talks about them coming through the church, going through the worship, and it had become nothing more. It had lost its sacredness. It had lost what its meaning, its luster, and the table of the Lord had turned out to be nothing more than another meal, and everybody was so selfish, and everybody was so full of themselves and Paul comes in and I again I don't have time to break all that down and Paul comes in and he says guys we got to get back on track it's all right there read read through it if you want to go further in that so Paul said that is one of the reasons because this thing has become just okay it's just it's just worship it's just another ritual it's just it, it was their worship of the day Far greater, and I, I'm afraid church to some degree, that's what church happens to us. We don't realize it. We think because we come to church that we're not like them, but we may be more like them than what we could ever imagine. And Paul said, We've got, I've got to keep you remembering what Jesus did. So he begins to get them back on track. Here's another reason, I, I believe, because life is pressing on us. Because the world is pressing in on us like never before has it pressed in on it. And if you don't think it has affected the church, you are greatly mistaken. I, I saw a news, it was a news clip yesterday just for a moment of, of churches that were allowing uh, priests and our pastors of homosexuality to stand in their pulpits now and the guy's broken he's weeping the news made a made a documentary of this church that received them and and, and it's totally contrary to the word of god 
I, you know, I go to the nursing home a few weeks ago. I may have told this. I told it to somebody. I don't know if it was here or not. A few weeks ago, I was, I was speaking at the nursing home, and I don't preach there like I do here. I just give them a few words of encouragement for a few moments. And while I was speaking to them, I, I mentioned how my brother had passed away. I don't know why my nose is running so much right now. But a few, few, my brother passed 31 years ago. Uh, the first of this month and and I told what happened how that he had entered into this homosexual lifestyle that he lived this life of faith and then one day decided I'm tired of this stuff and he went to the world and he gave himself to that and he he you know he, he uh, AIDS got a hold of him and it took his life and when I said that this little lady she was one of the new people there that morning first time attender in my nursing home meeting and I'm standing like right here and she's like right there. She said, okay, I was with you until that moment. And then she wheels herself off. She didn't get out of the room because she didn't know I was in my last 30 seconds of closing the meeting. And I never leave the place until I go by and touch every one of them in the room. And so I found her before she left and she grabbed my hand and she said, I'm going to pray for you. But she did. She said, I'm, I know a, she said, I know a pastor. He's one of the most holiest men I've ever known. And he's, he's gay and he's serving Jesus. And I'm praying that God will open your eyes. Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> and I thought, how sad. But see, even the church... When I say the church, I'm not just talking about us or this building. I'm talking about the church at large that is embracing things that we never dreamed we would embrace. We've no longer really realized what Jesus has done for us. But he said, because it's pressing on you, you got to keep doing this because it's going to keep you mindful of what I've done. I think, again, it's too easy, church, for all of us. I've done this for a long time. Like many of you, I've been in this all my life. All my life, I was born in the church. I don't know anything else. I didn't do a hiatus somewhere years ago where I left the church and I went to the world and I lived out there and decided to come back. I didn't do that. I've been in the church all my life, but it is too easy just to go to church. It's too easy to be around it and really lose the intensity and the passion and the true desire of it because we keep going. Because we keep going. So he said, I want you to remember. As a result of not remembering, this is what he said. There's a, there's a problem with it. He said, when we don't remember, when we don't recognize and we don't live out what Jesus did, he, he went on, I stopped at verse 26, but he went on to say, therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup uh, in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and of the blood, but let a man examine himself. So let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body for this reason many are weak you're powerless against the foes of the enemy he said many are weak they're sick they're infirm among you and many die prematurely now to drink unworthily doesn't mean that I, I you know I'm taking this today pastor we're going to have communion in a minute I hope none of you've sinned today that's not what he's talking about because 
we're in this flesh body. I'm not giving us a license to sin, but it's very possible. It's very possible like the person that cut me off or the pump that wouldn't work at the gas station when I needed to hurry. You know what I'm talking about. My thoughts about that gas pump. That's not what he's talking about. The unworthiness is not giving the honor and the respect of what he had done for us or what he implemented for us before him or how to come before him. That's the whole deal that I just make like, well, it's another church thing. Let's just do it and go on. He said, we're drinking unworthy, but he said as a result of it, he said, many are sick and weak. So he said, I want you to remember this. There's blessing. There's power. There's more in this thing. There's more to doing this than what you and I can, can imagine. Here's the second thing, second word. Remember the three words. Remember, do this and proclaim. Here's the second one. He said, do this, do this, do this. He said, take eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Did he took the cup? This is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you do in remembrance of me. What is he talking about? Do this. What you're doing when you do this, we are aligning ourselves with the victory Jesus completed through his body and through his blood. We are aligning ourselves to the victory. Keeping ourselves in victory. There's three major areas. There's many areas and many blessings of the cross, but I want to give you three real quick that I believe that you and I need to satisfy and settle within our heart to know what happened at the cross. First of all, the heart of the Father was satisfied through the sacrifice of Jesus. Therefore, our labor and our work has come to an end. And all that we have to do is put our confidence and our faith in Jesus. When he cried upon the cross, it is finished. He satisfied the heart of the Father. It was complete. In the book of Isaiah 53, verse 10, it says something like this. For it pleased the Father to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you made him, when you made his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. It pleased the Father. He was satisfied at the cross. That's a number one thing. You and I are not, every time we're taking communion, we are not crucifying Jesus again. But what we are doing is saying, you are, you are enough. You are more than enough. And I'm aligning myself with this victory that when the enemy throws something at me or he points out to me and says, I know you didn't have what you thought you had. You have to understand something. It's not based upon what I thought I have. It's based upon what he has and what he gave me to believe in. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 5. Can you put that up there for me? I, uh, let, there we go. I just read this. I'm going to read through this. Therefore, when he came into the world, talking about Jesus, he said, a sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. Go to the next verse. Uh, 
in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Next verse. Then I said, behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. He said, I'm the fullness. Everything that you read, Old Testament, everything you read about the tabernacle, that was all a picture of Jesus. Every sacrifice there was a picture of Jesus. Everything that happened there is to reveal Jesus and what Jesus did for us through the work of the cross. So the heart of the Father was satisfied through what Jesus did, the sacrifice of Jesus. Here's the second thing about the cross. We've been forgiven of our sins. Now that's easy to say. He's, Paul said that in the book of, book of Ephesians chapter 1. He has redeemed us and forgiven us of all our iniquity. We have received forgiveness. But you need to understand it's deeper than that. The Bible tells us in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, for he made him to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He made him to be sin. Now on that cross, you have to understand, all of my sin, all of your sin, the sins of the whole world, he didn't just take, he became. That's why he, the picture of him was so ugly and so marred about Jesus hanging on that cross. He did it for a purpose so that you are no longer bound by sin. The Bible says through Christ, he hath redeemed us or he has forgiven us. He has set us free from sin because he became sin. You want to know who you are? You are the righteousness of God. Believe it or not, even in the moment where you might blow it once in a while, it doesn't change your identity of who you really are. You are the righteousness of God. So we need to understand he became, he took, he literally took our sin. The curse of sin was dealt with. Where is it in Galatians? I believe it says something like this. Cursed is every man that hangeth upon a tree. So wait a minute, he took the curse for me. So I don't have to live cursed. Don't ever again say you're cursed if you're a believer. I must be, no you're not. He took the curse, you're blessed. He called me blessed. He dealt with that. He satisfied that. Remember, I'm just giving you a few things, but there's many more blessings that come through the cross. Here's the third one. He defeated the enemy publicly taking away his power to hold us in any legal manner of sin. Everything through the scripture has significance. When it was done, how it was done, who was there. This wasn't done in a back room anywhere. This was done publicly. This was done in the open. The Bible tells us in the book of Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14, it says something like this, that he having wiped away, wiped out of the hand, wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. 
And verse 15 says, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. He said, I've done this publicly. I wanted everyone to see what I've done. That's going to be very important in my third point. That everyone was to see this. He wasn't hiding in a back room. I, I, I was in Louisville this, this week. I had to go to Louisville the uh, last couple of days. And of course, I, I was by myself and it's a good time to pray and just meditate. I felt like the Lord spoke something to me. I was going to share with you. I didn't know when I would do it, but I felt like the Lord wanted me to share something with you. Because remember, he done everything publicly. Now, I know we, how we are as believers, and probably none of you, it's for everybody watching me or wasn't here, that, that I'm going to be saying this to. But we've given a lot of churches, a lot of the church, a rough time because you know what? They don't have a public display of Holy Spirit. You know, they want to have church, but they want Holy Ghost back over here. If you want to receive Holy Ghost, you got to go down the hall to the back room where nobody knows where it's at. And we, the church, believe it or not, have given those churches a rough time. We've tagged them. We've named them. We've done everything under the sun. As I come at home, the Lord spoke something to me. I don't know why he spoke it to me coming home. He said, much of my body is that way. He said, they bring me out on Sunday but through the week, they keep me hid. And he said, I want to display myself every day. I want to show myself through them in every way that I possibly can. I want you to think about that. Let it soak into you a little bit because that's how a lot of charismatic, sometimes Pentecostal church, it's real easy to display. Man, we had a move of God today, but what about the move of God in your life on Thursday? that may show up in the huddle house or may show up in your neighbor's yard or may show up at the market or may show up when you're washing your car. You never know. It's the willingness of God to say, God, wherever I'm at, who I'm with, I'm not ashamed to let you, to let you flow through my life and minister your power to whoever I, I, I get an opportunity to minister to. Remember a few weeks ago I talked to you, I don't know if I guess it was on a Sunday morning when Jesus said, I must needs go through Samaria. Now his disciples wouldn't go. They went with him, but if it wasn't for him, they wouldn't have gone that route because the Jews and Samaritans had no dealing with each other. But Jesus said, I must needs go through Samaria. So when he's going through, beginning to be weary of his journey, he was in a moment of weariness and all he's looking for is something to drink. Maybe that's a great point because sometimes when you need to reveal the power of the Holy Ghost isn't when we're in here feeling good. It may be in a moment when you're weary and you're just sitting down somewhere trying to get something refreshed, but somebody is there needing what you've got. So the woman shows up. You know the story from there. And what did Jesus do? Everything about that story shouldn't have happened in a natural sense for those people. But Jesus said, I'm not natural. I'm supernatural. And so are you. And he wants us to know that so that he came and he made an open spectacle of the enemy so that you and I don't have to hide no more. But we can be totally open. He publicly defeated the enemy. 
So this is what he's saying. Do this means I'm aligning. But you have to understand something. He didn't stay on the cross. He was placed in a tomb and died and rose on the third day. Here's where we're really putting our, this is what we're really aligning to. He died, yes. He went through all of that, yes. He took stripes, yes. But he came out of that tomb victoriously so that you and I now can align to the victory. I'm just not aligned. Well, I'm forgiven, but I don't have much victory. No, I'm victorious now because Jesus is. All right, hopefully you're going to get it. Let me give you the third thing and I'll land this jet. He said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. My body, which was broken, was bruised, was shattered for you. And then he said, in the same manner, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood This do as often as you drink it. He said, this cup is the new testament, is the new covenant in my blood. See, we don't think right, really. We look at our Bible as an Old Testament and a New Testament. But Hebrews wouldn't look at it that way. They would look at it in the form of covenant, an old covenant and a new covenant. We don't even think about covenant. We really think about promises. So you can have a promise and really not be in covenant. But you can't have covenant without promises. So if we go back into ancient times and understand what was happening about covenant, because it was a way of living, It was a way of surviving. If there was a great army over here, a great tribe over here, and a weak tribe over here, this is usually what would happen. The weak tribe would make its way to this tribe over here and say, I want to make covenant with you so that we can live. Because they have a fear that one day that greater tribe will come and overtake them and wipe them out. That was a purpose of one purpose of covenant in ancient times. That's how they dwelt. That's how they lived. Two businessmen would make covenant together. And the reason being they would make covenant so that the other one wouldn't take advantage, they wouldn't take advantage of one another. There's purpose greater than we can imagine behind the covenant. So how do we make covenant? We've talked about this here, but let me walk with you through this a a, a little bit and show you how it would look in that day. And and I'm going to take Larry over there. Me and Larry are going to make, we're going to make covenant together. I'd come to Larry and I, I would say, Larry, I feel like I need to enter into a covenant. The word covenant means to cut. So blood is going to be shed. So he said, this is the new covenant. This is my blood in this cup. And remember, in the blood is life. According to Leviticus chapter 16, I believe it is, it says life is in the blood. But you have to understand, in your, this blood here that flows through this natural body, there's three elements of it. One is life. 
It's life. The second one is healing. Do you realize that your body is designed to heal itself? And it's in, it's in I don't know how it all works, but it's in the makeup of your blood. If your blood isn't right, then the healing process possibly isn't right through your body. Here's the third thing. It's a protector because there are cells within your blood that are supposedly fighting off the elements that shouldn't be in your body. So there's healing. Am, am I right? I got a couple, one guy back there agreeing with me. And he works at the hospital. I hope he knows what he's doing. Getting ready to retire. Amen. So there's healing. Keep that in mind. There's life. There's healing and protection. So in the cup, God is saying the same thing. There's life. There's healing and protection when you understand the covenant of my blood. So this is how it would work. Larry would come in that day. They didn't dress quite like us. He would probably have his nice cape on. I would have my cape on that would reflect my identity. It would show who I am, just like his cape or his cloak would show who he is. And the first thing that would happen is I would take off my cloak, he would take off his cloak, and we would share it with one another. He would take my identity, and I would take on his identity. And the whole purpose, the whole purpose of us exchanging cloaks is to confuse the identity. That it's no longer me that lives, but him that lives in me. It's no longer me living by myself. Isn't it interesting that over the last, I bet last five years, probably longer, the number one message probably spoke more than anything has been our identity of knowing who we are, that we are sons and daughters of God. That's been a number one. I've heard it so many times in here. I've preached it and I've heard many of you declare it. We don't know who we are. We don't know who we are. God says, I know you don't. That's why I'm keeping you reminded of who you really are. So there was an exchange of clothes would be the first thing that would happen. The second thing that would happen, they would exchange belts. They would take their belts off. I'd give you my, him mine, and I, I would take his. And on that belt would be strengths and assets. So now what I'm telling Larry is this. Larry, every, everything you got is mine, and everything I have is yours. If you need a lawnmower, which I don't have at the moment, you're welcome to come get it. But if I needed your lawnmower, I wouldn't have to ask. I could go get it because it's mine. Whatever's in your home, whatever assets you had, if I needed a sheep, I got a sheep because you've got it. It was an exchanging of assets. You need to hear. You need to see how deep covenant goes. You're in a covenant relationship with God. He's given you a brand new identity. He's exchanging his strength for your. He said, I'll take your weakness and I'll give you my strength. He said, I'll take your curses and I'll give you my blessings. Third thing they would exchange, and after they would exchange the belt, they would exchange weapons. So now in the process of exchanging weapons, enemies were exchanged. 
Now your enemy is my enemy. Larry, whatever's opposing you, it's opposing me. You can't fight this battle by yourself. And if I know he's in a battle, I have no other choice but to go fight for him. He didn't ask me to come along. I've just got to go fight for him because if he's defeated, I'm defeated. There's an exchanging of weapons. Our enemies exchanged. And then there would be the process. And we've got to keep in mind something that I failed a while ago. This is what I wanted you to see. This wasn't done in private behind locked doors. This was done in the face of a crowd of witnesses. Matter of fact, it, what I, I've, I've read through several different books on covenant and I've, I'm gleaning new stuff every time I go. Now I understand what Paul was saying in the book of, of, of Hebrews chapter 12. You remember this verse? It says, seeing, being therefore compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every sin and every weight that does so easily beset us and let us run this race with patience. You know what he was saying? I'm reminding you, you're a covenant man. This thing don't have to defeat you. Come on, guys. Hello. He's talking to us about covenant. So it would be in the company of whether it be the tribes or whatever, but they would all be there watching these two men make covenant with each other. Then they would take an animal, probably a cow or something, a heifer. If you go back into Genesis chapter 15, when God made covenant with Abram, he said, bring me a heifer. And he took it, which is a cow, and he split him down the middle. And he laid his parts open. Blood was everywhere. And then they'd done this thing that is called the walk of death. And they would walk around and do a figure eight through the sacrifice, through the blood. You have to understand, there's blood on their feet, no doubt blood on their clothes. They're walking through this. They both would go through it. It was called the walk of death. What was the purpose of it? They were saying, no longer do I live for myself anymore. No longer do I live for myself any longer. All selfishness, everything was laid down. It was in that place of, of, of the sacrifice and that perpetual thing that they would do walking around it. The figure eight meant this was perpetual. The only way out of this thing now is that one of you would die. Could not be broken. So here's the sixth thing or the fifth thing that would happen. There was a striking of the hands. Now, when you look into the scripture from, from reading and research, when you spoke about hand, you just weren't talking about this part here, but it could entail the wrist area because Jesus was nailed probably in his wrist right here, somewhere in this area upon the cross. And what they would do would be to take and make a cut. Remember, covenant means cut. They would make a cut in both wrists, take a cup of wine and let a little bit of their blood drop into that cup, intermingling, intermingling the blood together. 
And some, his, some of the writers said they would take something, whether it be like a piece of, of coal or what we might even, some kind of dark powder, and they would put in on that wrist and they would rub it together like this that would leave a permanent mark in its healing to be a reminder, a sign of their covenant. Now, one writer said that this is where we get the wave at. Can't be proven, but they said this is where we get the wave at because they would lift their hand as a reminder if they're enemies or somebody, I'm in covenant with somebody, you don't mess with me. Can't prove that, but it's a good theory. It's a good thought. We thought it was just being nice, but it was a good thought. So they would drink that cup together, each of them taking a drink because now they have mingled. Now they have entered their lives. They have mingled their lives together. Then here's the sixth thing that would happen. They would pronounce the blessings and the cursings of the covenant. And one would stand over here and say, and they would probably do it in a song. I bless you and your family to live long upon the earth. May all your kids, may your children prosper. And they would read out all these blessings to one another. They would echo it across to each other. And the other side would say the same thing. I bless you. And they would say, may your children, may you have, may you have kids beyond what you ever thought you would have. May your donkeys, cattle, whatever you have, may everything increase. But then they would also do the curse. But if you break this covenant, may your family die the cruelest death you could ever imagine. May nothing, may nothing of your family exist. In your, they would speak the curse to one another, shout it out across the way. But remember, Jesus took our curse. We don't have, that's why we have a better covenant built upon better promises because I promise you most of us had already blown it. We've already blown it, but Jesus took it all. So you and I, you know, when things, I mean, you know, you know how many people, <laughs> uh, well, he's not, I better not use that story. Don't offend anybody. But you ever hear this thing, when it rains, it pours? And it seems like when one thing goes, everything goes. You know, the washing machine quit, refrigerator won't work, won't make ice. You, you know how it is, went out to start the car, it won't start, got it started, now it's got a flat tire, and, and then you get to the gas pump because you need gas like I did a while ago and the stupid pump won't work. Y'all tell I'm irritated over that pump. I still ain't got gas yet. And we could go on and then we find, I must be cursed. I must, nothing good happens to me. I must be cursed. Man, we don't realize when we make a statement like that, things in life may happen to us, but you are blessed beyond measure. Don't confuse something here. 
Don't get twisted as the world says. Because he became a curse for us that we could live out the blessings of God. So here's the next thing that would happen. They would share a covenant meal with each other. Never thought about this. I didn't know this. Because we've made it a light thing as well. Done a lot of weddings over the years of my, of my time of pastoring. I've done them everywhere from my backyard to the big top at the circus to everywhere else. I'm serious. Done a lot of them. And one of the things that we do at weddings after we, you know, they exchange their vows and all that is to go and have cake or punch together, right? And one of the things that happens, now y'all may have known this, but I didn't. I thought, now I know where we're getting this at. When the bride and groom cut the cake and they shared that piece of cake with one another, that is part of covenant making. But see, we've lost sight of that. So now we just push it in each other's nose. Because we don't know. How many knew that? See, we don't know that. One. See, we don't. We, oh, it's fun to watch that. But they're making covenant. It's the process. It was from the moment they walked to the aisle to make their commitment, their promises to one another, and everything they would do is a part of the process of making covenant. They would share, and I couldn't eat until I gave Larry the first bite, and then Larry would give me the first bite, and we would be entering in making that covenant relationship. Jesus said, as often as you do this, remember, I'm just about done. Give me just a couple more moments and we're going to take communion and leave. Here's the eighth thing they would do. Then they would exchange names. I gave Larry my name. And Larry took my name. Did you ever think about this? I, I, and I've preached this a million times, but Mark... Pastor Mark, I, I, I really failed to see the significance of it. How many times through the scripture, God changed the name of an individual. And I've often used that, that he was just changing them to giving them an identity. No, he was reminding them of the covenant that they are in or the covenant that he had made with them. When Abram, when he was Abram and after the covenant, what did God do? He said, no longer, I think it's in Genesis chapter 17 maybe. He said, no longer will your name be called Abram, but now you will be called Abraham. So what did God do? God took himself and put it in the middle of Abraham, right in the middle. So now it's God and Abraham. So everywhere Abraham was, that's why he said, Abraham is the friend of God. What was he saying? I'm in covenant with this man. I cannot deny him. I'll fight for him. I'll do whatever it takes to see Abraham fulfilled. Not only did it affect Abraham, but he also gave Sarah a new name. 
name. Her name was Sarai. Her name is Sarah. Listen to me. When you're in covenant, this is something you need to understand about your family. It is upon you and your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. That's why Paul said, if you can believe, you and your household can be born again. This thing is deeper than just a moment. It's generational. So he gave him a new name. See, you and I, that's why, what did the scripture say? I, Je Jesus said to his disciples, now I'm giving you a name. I'm giving you a name, that in my name. So all they had to show up and say, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. What name are you doing it? Jesus. It's Zach Jesus. It's Tina Jesus. It's Charlie Jesus. He said, I've given you a name. It's more than just you using in the name of Jesus come out. He's saying, I've given you a brand new identity with me. You're a son and a daughter of the most high God. Y'all looking at me awful strange. Here's the last thing. They planted a tree. They'd go out in places where trees would grow and they would plant a tree. That tree to me would symbolize the cross to don't ever forget what the cross did. Don't ever forget and lose sight of the cross. Do you ever think about this? I'll close here. Uh, do you ever think when God said to Abram after he gave him a son, now Isaac is grown and God said, I want you to take him and offer him on the mountain. And him and, him and Isaac and I guess some servants are, go to a place and they reach a spot and Abraham has to tell everybody to stay. If I recall that, he said, me and Isaac is going up and he puts the wood upon the back of, of Isaac. And they make a three-day journey. A three-day journey to go up to this place, to this altar of sacrifice. And they get there, and you know the story. That Isaac said, Dad, is there a sacrifice? He said, God will provide us one. And when he gets there, he binds him. And he lays him on that altar. And Isaac gets, or Abraham gets ready to drop the knife and take him out. And God grabs his hand and says, now I know. Now I know. But I can't let you do this. I know you'll serve me. I know you believe in me. I really know now that you were willing to give it all. But he said, Isaac isn't the one. He said, it's been appointed. This is Zach paraphrasing. It's not in that verse. This is in Hebrews. He said, it's been appointed unto man only once to die. And that wasn't you and I. There was only one that was appointed for death. And that was Jesus. Because see, we really never die. We just shift positions we just shift out of this earth suit 
and we shift into that heavenly suit and we're with the Lord. But God knew the day will come, there'll be one go to the tree that will die for the sins of the world. And if you'll read through the rest of that chapter, I think it's Genesis 22 maybe, I think, I'm not totally certain. But if you read through it, there's a place that he finally says, I know that, I know now, Abraham, that you will follow me, that you will obey me. And this is what he said. Your children, your seed will contend with the enemy in the gates. Your seed because of what I do. Now the Bible said, if any man is in Christ, he is Abraham's what? Seed. We've got the blessing of Abraham on us. Not only that, but greater blessings. But we've got the power to contend with our enemies and walk in victory because of what Jesus did. He said, as often as you do this, he said, as often as you do this, remember. He said, remember. He said, do this, align yourself. And he said, here's the last one. He said, as you do this, Go ahead and stand with me. That way you'll know I'm done even though it's a lie. Just stand with me. He said, as often as you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The word proclaim there means to do exactly what I'm doing right here. I am preaching what Jesus did for us. Do you realize that's what he says you're doing? Every time you take it, you are proclaiming, you are preaching, you're telling the enemy, I'm telling you what Jesus has done for me. You're speaking to the principalities and the powers of darkness. I've, my sins have been forgiven. I'm in a covenant relationship. You better not mess with me, boy. I got a whole army. I got angel armies on my side. He said, you proclaim, you proclaim his death till he comes. You're not only speaking it out, you're speaking it for yourself because sometimes you just got to be reminded of who you really are. And also, when we do this publicly, we can't be ashamed to align ourselves and declare, I'm telling you what Jesus did for my life. We're telling the world that doesn't know him that Jesus died for us. And he rose again. So thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for us. Thank you. Come on, let's just take a moment and thank him for what he's done. for. Father, I thank you for what you've done for me. I thank you where I've been divinely, heavenly kingdom position, God. I thank you, Lord, that my enemies are your enemies. What opposes me opposes you. Father, I thank you tonight that you bless my bread and water. I thank you tonight that you've taken sickness away from me. I thank you tonight, God. God, that there's no barrenness in my life. God, I thank you tonight that there's no miscarriage. We can't abort the promises that you've put on the inside of us. I thank you tonight, God, that you will cause my enemies to tuck their tails and run. They will not mess with us. Father, I thank you tonight that God, where I stand, all of heaven stands with me. Angels are about me right now. A heavenly host is with us, oh God. Lord, I thank you tonight that, God, we live and walk in victory. 
We are the blessed of the Lord.